Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. If we have not met, my name is James Nysong, and I'm one of the pastors here. And just like Pastor Terry said, would love to meet you at the end of the service. Uh, just an honor that you would come and worship with us this morning or that you would join us online. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew again this week. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. 16, if you have your Bibles, would encourage you to open up to that. As we are continuing in a teaching series that we began about six weeks ago that we've entitled At Our Core, where we are exploring the foundations of Reach Life Church. What are the seven core values that our church values? It's important to understand that because it will help you to understand who we are and why we do the things we do the way that we do them. And this morning we are going to be looking at the core descriptor of being community contributing. Now, before we do that, I want to read the scripture together. So if you are able, would you stand with me uh, in honor of God's word? And we're going to be looking again at Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen for you to follow along with us. As we're reading, remember that these are the words of Jesus. This is God's word. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this gift to be able to come together as your people your church, your redeemed through Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Help us not to just hear it, your word, but help us to respond to it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, if you were with us, you know that Pastor Terry preached on being culturally engaged, and today is kind of like a part two of that message, because one of the ways that we want to be culturally engaged, one of the ways that we want to engage with the culture is by being what we call community contributing. I want to give you what we defined what it means to be community contributing. Now, as we're moving forward, I want you to know that saying community contributing is difficult, okay? It really is. And so as I stumble over that, don't laugh at me. Just know that, that I've done my best to try not to say community contributing and stumbling. So anyway, here's how we have defined it. It's investing in and contributing to the well-being of our communities. Here's how we want to do that, through benevolence and service. Investing in and contributing to the well-being of our communities through benevolence and service. And, you know, recently I was reminded of how important it is that we be culturally engaged as a contributing church, a community contributing church. It is extremely important in this day and age, especially, that we do that. And I was reminded of this because about a week or so ago, I, I had a great conversation with a lady that works in this community, in the community in which we live. And we were talking, and I don't know how it happened, 
But somehow we got the conversation moving to her childhood and how she grew up in the church. And I believe the Lord was moving through this conversation. And so I said, so do you still attend church? She said, no, I don't, I'm not a part of organized religion. But I do believe that there's a higher power, and, and I'm not exclusively following Jesus. And, you know, I was just like, okay, I want to understand why. Why is that that you, have, you were raised in the church, but you're no longer in the church? So I just said, uh, can, do you mind me asking? Um, I don't want to push in, but do you mind telling me what, what caused you to decide not to follow Jesus through the church? And she said there were several reasons, uh, which I will give a, a couple of them. She said when she was growing up in the church, her peers, her, those that were her age, bullied her in the church. She also said that she wasn't allowed to ask questions, to ask, why is, why is this like this, or why is... Does the scripture say that? She wasn't allowed to do that. And then the third one, which really stuck out to me, is she said, it's because the church was so hypocritical. She said it wasn't practicing what it was preaching. And and I'm not going to share the examples that she gave me, that she gave to prove her point, but I can guarantee you that, uh, unfortunately, they really are valid reasons. And, you know, as I was listening to her, I realized something, and I realized it is that her view of Jesus has been marred, it has been distorted because of the church she was in as a child. In other words, the church had failed to accomplish her mission. And you might be asking, well, what is the mission of the church? I like what Steve Corbett, how he he describes it. He says this, in the New Testament... God's people, the church, are more than just a sneak preview of King Jesus. The church is the body, bride, and very fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, get this right here. He says, when people look at the church, they should see the very embodiment of Jesus. When people look at the church, they should see the one who declared in word and in deed to the leper, the lame, and the poor, that his kingdom is bringing healing to every speck of the universe. That, that phrase, when people look at the church, they should see Jesus. They should see the very embodiment of Jesus really stands out to me. Because sadly, this lady that I was talking to did not see Jesus for who he really is. And so that's why it's so important, church, that we be the church truly filled with Jesus and that we be community contributing, a community contributing church. And it's, it's because not only because we get to help the community, we, we get to help it to be enriched through tangible acts of kindness and generosity, not just because of that, but also because we get to give them a taste of what the kingdom of heaven is like, what Jesus is like as king when he is ruling. We have the opportunity, church, if we are walking with Christ, filled with his spirit, we have the opportunity to make our community thirsty and want to know the true and living God through Jesus. And if you're taking notes this morning, I have a big idea that's kind of overarching this morning, and that is this. To be community contributing, we must be a gospel community of contributors. If we're going to be community contributing, we have to be a community 
that contributes together. And hopefully that will make more sense as we get through the sermon. Now, what I want us to understand is, you know, as we are seeking to be a community contributing church, uh, we have to understand at least four things. And these are my four gospel truths that I want to share. They're on the back of your, your weekly that you can fill in this morning. And the first one is this. When Je- you know, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, gospel truth number one, you means we. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you means we. Now, we can misread this passage. I have misread this passage, uh, and when I read it, I can read it like it's meant just for me, by myself. Like, I am the light of the world. But that, that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. Because of the, of the words, you, if we can go to the next slide, where it says, you and your. The words, you and your. They are in what is called the second person plural, okay? Not singular. They are not singular. It is plural. If you have a King James Bible, it probably says, ye are the light of the world. Now, I had a, a, a Baptist minister tell me years ago that when it says ye, that means he's talking to a group of people. In, in the South, you know what you're saying? Y'all. Up North, what are you saying? You guys, out west, you all. So if we were to read, if if Jesus was raised in the south, he would say, yuns are the light of the world. And then in verse 16, he would say, let y'all's light shine so that they can give glory to you guys' father. That's what it means. It's not singular. It's also interesting that he says you are the light, not the lights, the light, a singular. Collectively, we are the light of the world. And so Jesus has given instruction to his body here. Collectively, we are to come together. And and we have uh, a community here where God, we believe that God is bringing people together here to reach this community for Jesus And as he puts us in here, we are not all the same. We all have different gifts and talents. In this church, I was thinking about who comes to our church. We have carpenters in this church. We have doctors, nurses, lawyers, students, business owners, musicians, cooks, teachers, and educators. We have parents, and and we have athletes and administers. Do we have any speech therapists? That would be very helpful. I'm saying that there are a lot of different gifts that are in this church. And you can look at the word you as being singular, like you're going to be the light, or we can look at it as a plural. We are going to come together with our gifts and talents and see what God will do to use them to bless our community. Because we are bound by a common thread, and that is Jesus. We are bound by his love. We have experienced his love. And we want to take our gifts and talents and skills, and we want to come together and benefit the community together through acts of benevolence and service in the name of Jesus. So to be community contributing, we must understand, number one, that you means we, and secondly, we need to understand that our good works are not the good news. We need to understand that. Our good works are not the good, the good news. There are organizations, there are individuals outside of the church who do amazingly good things with good works. 
They help other people. They, they solve problems. They give services. And, and they benefit the community greatly. They are a great ex- example of what it sh- should look like to take our gifts and talents. But they don't do it in the name of Jesus. And there is a difference when it comes to that. Um, we, we've got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking that if, if we could just educate everybody, or if, if we could somehow work for social justice together, or if we could somehow alleviate poverty or racism, of all of which we would like to see happen, we've got to make sure that, that we don't look at those good works that we are doing as means to heal the brokenness in our communities. Because that's not the problem. Those are problems, but those are symptoms. Problems that reveal symptoms. They are, not, they are symptoms. They are not the problem. Our, our good works can never cure the underlying disease that we know as church as sin. And that is what is causing all of, to some degree, the problems that we experience in life. Let's look at verse 16 again, where Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, it says, so that they may see your good works. And it doesn't, he doesn't say, and be healed. He says, see your good works and you can be praised for them. No, that's not the purpose of our good works. It says, so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our, our good works are not meant, again, to heal life's brokenness, but rather to point us and others to the one who is able to, and his name is Jesus. And as we sing and as we proclaim week after week, Jesus is the cure for sin, not our good works. But church, I want to, to ask if we really understand this. Do we, do we really believe this in the way that we live our lives? I mean, if I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to earth, what would you say? Many of us who've grown up in the church would probably say something to the effect that Jesus came to earth to die for our sins so that we could have our sins forgiven and we can go to heaven when we die. That, that would probably be the nutshell you know, in a nutshell, what people would say. And that is true. That is the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus died for our sins. But the gospel is more, listen, than just forgiving us of our sins. Jesus died, yes, to uh, save our souls, and he died to reconcile. That is, to fix the broken relationships that were affected by sin. We need to understand that. And there are four relationships that he came to heal. Number one is our relationship with God. Then our relationship with ourselves. Our relationship with one another and our relationship with creation. Now, when God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, all four of these relationships were working perfectly. But then, uh, that's in chapters 1 and 2, but you you get to chapter 3, and as you know, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and when they did, it affected all four of these relationships. And when we think about relationships being restored, usually we think about two of them at least, us between us and God and us between one another. That's usually the ones that we highlight. But there's there's four of these relationships that need to be restored. Our relationship with God, now I'm going to go through each one and show how they have been broken 
Our relationship with God was broken because instead of having intimate fellowship and a relationship with God after sin, Adam and Eve became fearful of God and they hid themselves in fear. And, you know, every, as we say, have said before, every major world religion is trying to get, God, get God's favor back one way, through one way or another, often through good works. Then there's our relationship with ourselves. When we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were marred inwardly. We died spiritually within. And instead of being focused on God and aware of God, we became self-focused and self-aware, which fills us with guilt and shame and insecurity. And that's why if you read chapter 3 of Genesis, you see that they tried to cover themselves. They realized they were naked. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And that's a, a picture of how we can try to, to cover ourselves with our works, with our good works. Then there's the relationship with one another. Instead of loving, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, instead of loving and defending his wife, what does Adam do? He blames God. You gave me that woman, and he blames Eve for what he did broken relationships, and then our, with, our, with creation, our relationship with creation. Because Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the ground with thorns and thistles and increased the difficulties of our work, our labors, and childbearing. And this is all because of sin. Uh, sin has left us with these broken relationships. And in the Old Testament, even in chapter 3 of Genesis, God in the midst of his judgment, he makes a promise. He says, everything's broken. Adam and Eve, you guys rebelled. You've brought death, sin and death into this world. But he makes a promise. He says, I am going to send a savior. And when he comes, he's going to fix everything. Not just our relationship with him, but our relationship, the other three relationships. He's going to restore, repair, and reconcile all things. And that's, that's what the Old Testament is about. That pops up all throughout the Old Testament. The Jews are always looking for the coming Savior. And then when we get into the New Testament, several thousands of years later, after God had initially made the promise, we meet Jesus. And Jesus steps onto the scene. And beginning in his uh, public ministry, he is in Nazareth. And it says that, that he goes into the synagogue in Luke 4, 7. I want to read what, he's, what happens there. He goes into the synagogue and it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here's what he, he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liber liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that passage right there was meant only for the Messiah. They knew that. The Jews knew that. Look at verse 20. It says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was he saying? 
He's saying, this passage that I just read is about me. I am God's promised Messiah. And I have come to restore and repair, to reconcile everything that sin has touched in this world and destroyed. Tim Keller right, says it like this. The kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. I'm spending so much time right here because I want us to understand who is the one that brings healing. It is not our good works. Now, we are to participate in good works, but they are not the ones that bring true healing. It's Jesus. And you know, wherever Jesus is king, wherever he is ruling, you begin to see relationships experience true healing. And so if we are going to be a community contributing church, again, two things that we need to understand. You means you. We, our good works are not good news. And a third one is this. Our contributing, contributing shouldn't cripple. Our contributing shouldn't cripple. Again, our, our good works, they are meant to lead others to see the king of the kingdom to come. But did you guys know that it is possible to serve and to do good works in a way that actually cripples the very ones that we are seeking to benefit. I'm going to give you some examples or let you think through some examples. Imagine you're in your car at a stoplight. You look over, someone's holding a sign. Do you roll down your window and give them money? Or let's say that someone comes to you and says, hey, I can't pay my electric bill. Can the church help with that? Can you help me pay my electric bill? Should you pay it? Or dream big with me, okay? Imagine that we had our own place and there was a huge field on the, out, on the outside of it. Should we as a church uh, open up the field and invite all the homeless people in Asheville to come and set up their tents here, put uh, porta johns outside and showers and provide for them with food and clothing? Should we in those scenarios? Or is it possible that if we did give to them, that we would actually be doing more harm than good? It is possible to give in a way that harms. And, and sometimes that happens because we misdiagnose the situation. We, we misdiagnose it thinking that the answer could be more education. The answer is that we just need to get rid of racial tensions that are going on. It's a financial issue. It's a, it's a material issue. And if we think that things are primarily in the physical, that that's the primary problem, then we will probably misdiagnose the problem because it's really spiritual problems that we need to begin with as we're diagnosing our problems. It may be, and this is not always, okay? There are times that we need to, we see that, okay, we do need to help this person. But it may be but that the person is in the situation they are in because they lack self-discipline. And for us to give them material gifts is actually going to help them to remain where 
they are. It's possible to hurt people by giving to them. I like what Dr. John Perkins says. He says, have you ever done anything to hurt people? Most of you would probably answer no to this question, but the reality is that you may have done considerable harm to poor people in the very process of trying to help them. The federal government made this mistake for decades. Well-intentioned welfare programs penalized work, undermined families, and created dependence. The government hurt the very people it was trying to help. Unfortunately, church, listen to this. Unfortunately, the same is true for many Christian ministries today. By focusing on symptoms rather than on the underlying disease, we are often hurting the very people we are trying to help. Surprisingly, we are also hurting ourselves in the process. Now listen, all throughout Scripture, God reveals he has concern for the weak and the marginalized. And, and he desires for his people to, to help and to provide. But if you read Scripture, you'll see that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. For example, when dealing with poverty in, in Leviticus 23:22, God is speaking to the nation of Israel about how to deal with the poor. And he says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. Don't take everything from your fields. Leave some for the poor to come and get. Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul is speaking to the church under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, what I, what I want to point out here in this pas these passages is that God is not advocating that we bring benevolence to the doorstep of those who are mentally and physically able to work. And do it for themselves. And I'm not beating down on anybody in this situation, in, in this, these scenarios. I want, you to, I, I want us to understand. We need to understand that when God created us, he created us to work. He created us to dream. He created us to create. When we're able to contribute, it is good for us as a people and so what I'm saying is that when you do for others what they could do for themselves, you end up crippling them. And so if we don't correctly diagnose why we're doing what we're doing, who we're helping with what we're, with what we're helping, if we don't properly diagnose it and we just throw money to them, we could end up causing more harm to them than good by enabling them to stay in their broken condition. And again, I'm not saying that we just need to stand up and just preach the gospel, and then that everything else is just going to fall into place. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. That word good works is plural there. There should be tons of good works that the church is doing. But you know what? The right way, you know why most people don't do it the right way? 
because it's the hard way. It costs so much to do it the right way. And so you're probably asking, well, then what is the right way? How are we to do it the right way? Well, if we are going to be community contributing, we need to understand that we must contribute relationally. You know, one of the earliest mistakes that I think we made as a church at Reach Life was not properly diagnosing uh, situations when we would give away, give benevolence. And one of the things that we did at the very beginning is we would go into, we went into a disadvantaged neighborhood and we just, we set up shop, we set up bouncy houses, we, uh, we gave out backpacks and cotton candy and um, popcorn and hot dogs and uh, boxes of pizza. But the way we did it was just kind of like threw it out there. Whoever came by, we tossed it out without building relationships. We didn't diagnose whether or not we were helping someone or if we were hurting them. We just gave it out. And it felt good to give things out. And then we packed everything up and we went home. But we didn't stay and build relationships. And in order uh, to do it correctly, we have to make diagnosis of, of the situation. And you know what you have to do in order to diagnose something? You have to get in a relationship with someone. And that's what takes so much work. That's what Jesus did, though, isn't it? He left heaven and came down to dwell among us. Building relationships is really the road that is less traveled, isn't it? I don't know how many people I've talked to who uh, are just kind of marginally a part of the church or not a part of the church at all. All, And you know why? Because when you get involved in the church, it gets messy. How many times have you heard, it's too much drama? I agree. It, is, it, can be, it would be so much easier in some ways to just close the door and just spend time at home watching Netflix and whatever else, uh, the Super Bowl tonight and whatever else you, you want to do. Just close everything out because you don't have to deal with anybody. You have to deal with yourself, but you don't have to deal with other people. It's a lot easier to just, you know, roll that window down and toss out a couple bucks, isn't it? Or just to write that check to pay for someone's electric bill. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but we shouldn't do it apart from building relationships. We want to look at the spiritual brokenness of individuals and see how we can help them to fix, through Christ, what is inside. Because that will be what fix, that fixes that which is outward. The answer is what I'm saying here is that gospel relationships are the, the answer and it's difficult. But you know, I'm very encouraged as, uh, as uh, the pastor, one of the pastors of this church, I'm very encouraged that our church is already doing the very thing that um, I'm preaching here this morning. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, when we take up an offering, we have made a commitment to give 10% of everything that comes into the plate back out to individuals and organizations who are, that we would see as being community contributing. Uh, so we give out, uh, again, 10%. I think last year we gave twenty dollars to $24,000 out to, to other um, folks that are, that are serving the Lord in this way. I want to give a few of them uh, this morning. Uh, on the screen we have ABCCM. Uh, you may be aware that that's the the uh, organization, the ministry that oversees Transformation Village. 
And as you know, if you've been here any amount of time, uh, for the past two and a half years, at least, we've been engaging with them. Uh, Scott and Georgiana Adams are overseeing a meal that's every first Tuesday of the month, um, where we go over there. And they are, they are uh, and serve a meal and uh, spend time with the residents. Pastor Terry's MC has adopted that ministry, and they are uh, going over there to meet with these ladies. These are ladies, uh, single ladies and moms who have children, and the, the ministry there, they don't just let anybody and everybody in there. They interview. They find out stories about the people. They build relationships. And that's, that's uh, the type of ministry that we want to get behind and help support. Alongside Families is another one of these ministries. Uh, they work with area churches to provide safe, loving homes where parents who are experiencing crisis and uh, who are, their children might be taken away from them. They voluntarily, these parents, give their children over to this ministry, people that are trained in this ministry, to care for their children so that they won't be taken away by the welfare system unnecessarily. Now, there's, we're not against the welfare system. Um, there's situations that, that it is needed. But in, there's a lot of times that it doesn't need to happen. And the church, this is a great ministry for us to come alongside of, uh, come alongside of them and help build there. Um, Shane and Wendy Sales are uh, host families in this ministry, and we've got several areas. If you want to get involved with this ministry, uh, come talk to me afterwards. We can help you with that. Then there's MAPS, Mountain Area Pregnancy Services. Uh, they help moms and dads who uh, find themselves in a situation or an unplanned pregnancy, a, a pregnancy that they may not want, they help them to, to choose life. They help them to see the value of choosing life for that, that uh, unborn baby. And they also provide grief support and post-abortion healing services. And uh, one more that I want you to see is uh, Mission Oak. This is a church plant that planted last year and I, the thing I love about this is they, uh, we were able to give financially to help them uh, pay bills and to, through their first year. The thing that's interesting about this is that the church that they came from actually helped plant us seven and a half years ago. And so we got to turn around and help them plant that church. And so what, what's very encouraging to me is that what I've been preaching about, being a community, that is relational and building relationships, is already happening. We relocated here at, uh, in AC, at, to A.C. Reynolds High School, and you know, we're just like a little seed uh, that was dropped on the ground, and we're, we're looking to see what God is going to do here as we seek to build relationships with the faculty and staff and students. We want to help benefit this community uh, and show people you know, what Jesus really looks like. And so I just want to close Reach Life Church by asking you this. Do you believe that God can use us to make an eternal impact in this community? Do you believe that? Do you want to be a part of what God is already doing in this community in, in, in an even greater way? If so, and I think the answer is yes, we need to always be examining our lives. I'm always examining my life 
And one of the things we need to do is to ask the Lord, is there something that I need to rearrange in my life in order to be able to live on mission, not alone, but with the people of God in order to help reveal Jesus to a, to a dying world? How does God want to take the gifts and talents and resources that he's given to you? How does he want to take those and get you plugged in here or in another local body in order to reveal Jesus, to let the world see who Jesus really is and give them the opportunity to make the decision whether or not they want to follow Jesus. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May God give us grace to be that kind of church. Amen? Amen.